friends to the Ransomed Heart podcast. I'm John Eldridge, and I am hosting a audio series that we are broadcasting for the very first time, old recordings that go back to 1997 when Brent Curtis and I were writing the book, The Sacred Romance, and teaching and speaking on it. Found those tapes down in the basement and thought it would just be an incredible series here to offer again to our friends and offer to many, many of you who have never heard this and never had a chance to hear Brent Curtis teach. Last week, Brent was speaking on Less Wild Lovers here in our eighth session. This week, I'll be speaking on Life on the Road. The question at this point is simply, what difference does all of this make anyhow? Right? I mean, what do you make of all this? What does this look like as it is played out in real life? And to answer that, I want to go back to uh, Eugene Peterson's comment that in this time in the church's history, we need the artist more than we need the theologian. I almost want to say, gosh, to see what this looks like, let me just give you a list of movies and some books to read. And, you know, um, I mean, go watch Braveheart, go read Pilgrim's Progress, you know, watch the full version of Enchanted April. Uh, Those of you who haven't seen Titanic, go see that. Go find stories that show you how this is lived out. They cannot possibly do this in a J. Evans Pritchard format. Oh, well, it's very simple. I'm going to boil the whole thing down for you now in three steps. <laughs> right? In fact, if I said that right now, if that's where I took things right now, you would feel betrayed, wouldn't you? I, you just can't do that. And so we're going to just continue to use story. Bottom line What all of this means is a way of seeing that transforms life into the romantic journey that it is. And again, because the word romance has been so abused, I mean, I think of Danielle Steele. I mean, all the wrong images come up with that word When Chesterton said romance is the deepest thing in life, it is deeper even than reality, what he meant was the sacred story. The need for courage and heroic intimacy or intimacy for heroic things. That's what this is. It opens your eyes to begin to see what is really going on. I know your reaction. That's it? That's it? A way of seeing? A way of seeing is a very powerful thing. Don't underestimate it. In fact, blindness is the condition that uh, the prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 61 says he came to heal. Right? And when he announces his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he sort of tells the plot of the story. Right? He steps onto the scene and the spotlight's on him, and he's sort of going public now. 
And he quotes Isaiah 61, and the healing from blindness and the release from captivity is where the action is. Remember the story in 2 Kings of Elisha and his servant, right? Elisha is sort of like a radar for Israel. and um, Every time the Arameans try and attack Israel, Elisha tells the Jewish people where the Arameans are coming and they thwart their plans, right? And this is just going on and on and on. And finally, the, the king of Aram gets so upset, he, he says, you know, who's betraying us? Who's the traitor in our camp? And they say, well, it's, it's nobody. It's, it's uh, Elisha. He, he hears the very words you utter in your bedroom. And so he says, well, go get him, kill him. So they send an a, uh, army, right, at night to the city of Dothan, where Elisha and his servant are, and they surround the city. Next morning, they wake up. Elisha's servant goes outside, sees the entire Aramean army surrounding the city, and he loses heart. And he says, oh, my Lord, what are we to do? And uh, Elisha says, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And remember what happens? Right? His eyes are open, and what does he see? The rest of the story. He sees... He sees an angelic army, right? Flaming chariots all around the Aramean army. Oh, okay, let's go. You know, total change of attitude, complete shift. I mean, a way of seeing is a very, very important thing. I was going through a terrible struggle a couple of years ago with some folks at work and just a very, very painful friendship that had gone sour and this man had kind of turned on me and, and was trying to destroy my reputation and just awful things going on. And I was talking to Brent about this one day and, and just sort of lamenting the situation. And, and Brent says, you know, I wonder what God's up to in this. And my reaction honestly was, God, what's he got to do with it? <laughs> Seriously. You lose sight. You lose perspective. Right? A way of seeing is so important. The journey ahead on the road requires a way of seeing. I have this recurring nightmare. Um, I used to be an actor and, and still do a little bit here and there. But um, still, a, a couple of times a year now, I have this recurring nightmare. And it's like this, that... There's a full house, and the lights are on, and the play is happening. And not only do I not know what role I am playing, I don't even know what the play is that's going on. But it's happening, right? And people are speaking lines to me, and there I am. I mean, it's just the worst fear of exposure, right? It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to be mistaken or just completely in the dark about the story and the characters and what your cues are. That's what a way of seeing gives you. It reminds you that it's not these little sociodramas that we all get caught up in, that the sacred romance is unfolding right now. And God is calling us out into the larger story, to live from our hearts for the hearts of others. That's what's going on now. We need, we need to remember, right? As Mufasa said, remember. Don't forget this. Because when you forget, 
you get lost and sucked back into the smaller things. Um, stepping out into the larger story, beginning to live this out in your life, begins, as we've been saying, with a recovery of desire. That's where it begins. Matthew Arnold has a wonderful line in his poem. He says, But often in the world's most crowded streets, but often in the din of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life, a thirst to spend our fire and restless force in tracking out our true original course, a longing to inquire into the mystery of this heart which beats so wild, so deep within us to know whence our lives come and where they go. In other words, it begins with the courage to live from the heart, to desire, to hope, to long again, to leave our smaller stories and the other roles we have been playing. I want to jump straight to a marvelous film clip. This is from uh, the movie Strictly Ballroom. Some of you have seen this movie? All right, this is a marvelous movie. Guys, hang on, hang on, hang on. This was my wife's favorite movie, and for two years she tried to get me to watch it, and I would not watch it simply because of the title. <laughs> Strictly Ballroom? I'm thinking, what can be worse? You know, that's my worst nightmare, you know? I, uh, I finally watch it. It's the larger story. It's unbelievable how this is lived out. Here's the story. Strictly Ballroom is about Scott and Fran. Scott is a championship dancer, ballroom dancer, caught up in the very small story of competition ballroom dancing. This is in Australia, right? And these people, this is their entire world, right? I mean, they're just absolutely consumed with the little socio, you know, drama, the soap opera of competition ballroom dancing in Australia. And at the beginning of the movie, Scott does the most outlandish thing. He dances his own steps, right? <gasps> to the shock and dismay. And, you know, he's disqualified from that particular event. And no one can believe because you don't dance your own steps, right? You, you follow the steps of the Federation kind of thing. <laughs> so he loses his dance partner. She won't dance with him unless he dances his steps. And his mother, his mother... I mean, the ultimate stage mother is crestfallen because all her hopes are pinned on Scott. This is his year. He's going to win the Pan Pacifics, you know. But he can't do it dancing his own steps. And so she tries to, you know, sort of intimidate him back into it, and his dance partner threatens to leave him if he won't get in line. And um, this is what happens if you begin to try and live from your heart. The world will come after you, pulling you back in. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare disturb, right, the story that we're all arranging here. Right? They'll kill you. That's what they did to Jesus. You try and live from your heart. You step outside the small stories. It's the only redemptive thing. It's an incredibly dangerous thing. And so the whole sort of community tries to do that. Fran comes into the picture and she's the gal who, uh, you know, squeegees the windows and does the floors in the dance studio. And um, 
She comes up to Scott in just the incredible courage of a woman's heart, and she says, I want to dance with you, and I want you to dance your own steps. And he says, but we won't win. And she says, that's not the point. The point is the dancing. And so they begin to practice secretly, kind of at the studio, and you know everyone's gone at night, and Scott and Fran, and just what happens in his strength and her beauty is astounding in this movie. There's a curious thing, though. Scott's father is this broken man. And he kind of lives in the basement of the dance studio, and, and every once in a while he kind of shuffles through, and no one's quite sure, what is with Scott's father? What? The Satan figure steps in. Barry Five, the president of the Australian Dance Federation. <laughs> and he begins to rewrite the story. He says, do you want to know why your father's a broken man? Because he danced his own steps at the Pan Pacifics 25 years ago and he lost and it ruined his life. You see that? Satan always comes in and he turns the story and he threatens you. Don't you dare come out of your small story. Don't you dare leave those smaller roles. It'll kill you. Right? And so Scott is torn. And they come to the event. It's the climax of the movie. They come to the Pan Pacifics and he dumps and he goes back to his old partner because he knows that with her he can win and so the scene is where he runs into Fran in the hallway and the line that she used to call him out in the beginning of the movie and to give him courage through the long journey of learning to do their own thing is this line a life lived in fear is a life half lived and so um, here's the drama, Scott's parents, the Barry Fife Satan figure, the whole thing, the Pan Pacifics, and Scott runs into Fran in the hallway. There's just so much in the courage of two people that decide to step out of everyone else's script for their life and to begin to live from their hearts. It has a redemptive effect on the entire community. See, that is the staggering thing. Okay, they tried to kill Jesus, but they couldn't keep him down. And then the disciples too, but it caught fire. And as people began to step out of the old system and live in the love of God for the larger story, it has that kind of redemptive effect. So much of what it means to live in the larger story is simply this. The world needs your heart. The world needs you, or you wouldn't be here. You are here because God has cast you in a far larger role than you ever imagined. And he is disrupting all of us out of those smaller places and saying, come forth. I believe in you. If you will live from your hearts, it will have a powerful effect. I have seen this happen again and again and again in people's lives. The courage sometimes that it takes for a man to just one more time walk into the bedroom and ask his wife, 
how she is feeling. For so many years, that invitation was just met with scorn and contempt. And he chose not to offer his strength anymore, but finally decides that he's going to fight for her heart even though she may not respond well. Men, the world needs your strength. It needs your courage. And the incredible vulnerability of a woman to invite her husband away from work and drivenness or away from his addictions, to invite him one more time into relationship from the heart for the sake of the relationship of the children and the community, the incredible risk that that takes. But ladies, the world needs your heart. And Satan is trying to intimidate us to stay back in the smaller places. But I will tell you, there is nothing like living in the larger story from the heart. It is worth it, even at the high price that it comes at. I hope you're enjoying this series of messages that have meant the world to us over the years and have framed so much of life and perspective at Ransomed Heart and other things that we've taught. I was listening to a lecture the other day about C.S. Lewis, and his biographer was saying what he believed about everything was always present in what he said about anything. And there's something about the sacred romance that's really true to Ransomed Heart. It's almost like anything else we have written, spoke on, the conferences, the sessions that we do, you can find some seed of it, all of it, in the book and now in this audio series that we've discovered on the sacred romance that Brent Curtis and I did here on the Ransomed Heart podcast.